there's a common thread with successful individuals. They've worked hard, but they've also made hundreds, if not thousands of mistakes. What if you could learn from their mistakes without any consequences? What if you could hear from talented individuals who have achieved great success in their given field? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to shorten your learning curve, learn from the best, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. I'm your host, Mike Perry, and welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Perry, and today we're going to be diving into a subject that has been argued about for at least the last decade. But before we dive into the topic, we need to talk about a few other things that people really don't have the answer for. So first of all, who killed JFK? Again, no one really knows. Bunch of different theories, but no one really knows. Is Bigfoot real? Again, a lot of people said that they've seen tracks, that they've seen pictures, but no one has been able to prove it yet. What's going on with uh, Area 51? Anybody know? Nope. All we know is you can't drive down that road. If you do, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. More importantly, who does number two work for? And if you've watched Austin Powers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But listen, all joking aside, we need to talk about the squat pattern and whether or not we should be squatting with our clients and our athletes. So, um, the first question that I'm going to ask is, what do you mean by squatting? So are we talking about squatting the movement pattern or squatting the exercise? Because while they are the same, they're very, very different. And that is the first thing we need to understand is that everybody should squat the movement pattern. We've been doing it uh, since we were a little kid. And I do believe that maintaining your squat pattern is going to be a key to health function and longevity. So if we're talking about squatting the movement pattern, it's something that we learn between 12 and 18 months. Um, when we're learning to squat, we're not telling our, our little one to drive their knees out, to put their chest up. No. Why do kids squat? They see something on the ground and they go and investigate it. They lower the center of gravity and they just check it out. Usually it's because they see something cool that they like, right? It's actually environmental or task oriented. They see it, they drop down and they just hang out and start playing. And, and for young kids, squatting is actually a position of rest. Um, so for the little ones, squatting is easy, right? Everybody talks about you should squat like a baby. We're going to get to that and we're going to talk about the reasons why you actually can't squat like a baby. But we also have to talk about why squatting the movement pattern is super important. And guys, when it comes to quality of life, having the ability to use the bathroom by yourself, sitting low to investigate an object or sitting down on one stair, et cetera, is just something that you should be able to do. Okay. It's, it's going to improve your quality of life. We have to also understand that when we're talking about squatting the movement, I'm not talking about using it as a strength training exercise. We need to understand that guys, we're not going to be squatting with a neutral spine the whole time. Okay, now if you do have a history of low back pain and you know that going into a deep squat is not good for you, then don't do it. But for the average healthy individual, going into a deep squat with a slight posterior pelvic tilt, your, your spine's not going to blow up. It's not the end of the world. So one of the questions I always ask people is, do we lose our function because we grow old or do we grow old because we lose our function? And I think that's something that we truly need to understand because I think it could be a combination of both. But... I've seen so many people that are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that move very, very well. Why? Because they actually maintain their function over the years. They've taken care of themselves. But I've also seen people in their 30s, 40s, 50s not take care of themselves, and they 
And oftentimes, I hate to say it, but they look that much older. And I'm not saying learning how to squat well is going to, you know, change the course of life and history. But at the same time, I'm telling you right now, if you can maintain a deep squat for the rest of your life, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty advantageous for yourself. So we've already talked about squatting the movement pattern. Let's talk about squatting the exercise. So when we're talking about squatting, it's a bilateral strength training exercise. Um, primarily, it's used to strengthen the lower body. We should be performing it with a quote-unquote neutral spine. Uh, perfectly neutral does not exist, and everybody's neutral is different. And to be honest, as you descend into a squat, the spine is actually moving. It's not this rigid, stable stack of joints. The, the spine is constantly moving. But we want to do our best to minimize the movement, especially in the spots um, that could potentially maybe get us injured, maybe not. Um, when we're squatting, specifically heavy, we're going to be using pressurized breathing and high tension. Um, squatting is a great way to increase your core strength. It's great for building muscle. And there's a boatload of variations. High bar, low bar, front squat, zercher, camber bar, uh, safety squat, goblet squat, sandbag, double kettlebell, um, etc. And in general, if you are going to squat, you have to have decent lower body joint mobility and stability. Um, and that includes uh, hips, ankles, uh, the ability to extend your T-spine, um, the ability to maintain that cylinder. So having uh, somewhat of a quote-unquote level pelvis and making sure that the rib cage is stacked optimally over that pelvis. So those are the, the, the key components of, um, of squatting the exercise, right? Those are the basics. Now, are there other teaching points and cues? Absolutely. But those are the key points. So now let's talk about squatting like a baby. Um, first of all, you're not a baby and don't expect to squat like a baby. Um, here's the thing with toddlers, right? Um, at two years old, they have very, very different um, limb lengths, very different types of adaptations, very different types of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, their, their body just simply hasn't developed yet. So their head at two years old is actually reached about three quarters of its full size. Um, approximately 40 to 50% of their size is actually, um, already, already nailed it in height. Uh, it's their center of gravity. So essentially one of the reasons why a young child can, can squat so well is essentially they are balancing their head over the center of their body. In adults, um, the center of mass tends to be lower anywhere between the, the pelvis area, um, and again, just depending on the individual, it could be a little bit higher. But in general, um, the older we get, the lower our center of gravity. But with kids, it's different. Their center of gravity is actually their head. And their head, because it weighs so much, it has to balance over their pelvis. And if it doesn't, they're just going to fall over, right? So that's one of the main reasons why they squat so perfectly and so vertically. It's because literally they are balancing their head <laughs> on top of their body. Um but in addition to that, um, there's a ton more space in the hips, specifically where the femoral head and the acetabulum meet. Um, listen, they've got less bone. Okay, at that point, there's a lot more cartilage, specifically in the hip joints, and there's less bone. So if you have less bone and more cartilage, you're going to have um, a greater range of motion. And then remember that kids have vastly different um, body proportions compared to adults. Um, but as we get older, different things happen, and we have to understand that we're not going to be able to squat like a baby 
for the rest of our life. Now, some people, depending on their anthropometry, uh, depending on how they're moving, yes, they're gonna get more vertical than others, but for the most part, it's not gonna happen because as we get older, um, our growth plates, they change. The cartilage actually changes to bone. Depending on the wear and tear of your body, you could start to have calcification, bone spurs. Um, and again, there's these adaptations that happen uh, from years of wear and tear. Um, you have to also understand that as kids go through growth spurts, specifically in that early teenage years, during that time, they're going to have decreased flexibility. Um, and again, we have to understand when we get older, things change. And as things change, it's going to absolutely change the way that we move. But here's what, here's my recommendation. Um, early on, specifically in those uh, prepubescent years and teenage years, that is the time to start really hammering the basics. And I'm not saying that kids need to be on this crazy mobility-based program where they have to spend 20 minutes on the ground doing all this stuff. No, just teach them to squat, teach them to do some squits, split squat variations, maybe like a lateral lunge or a cosec squat, and that's it. If you can just teach those things early on, it's going to cement their range of motion, and that's going to help them move better down the road. Um, another thing we need to understand is the shape and the architecture of people's hips are different. Um, Stuart McGill has some great information on uh, looking at your background and your ancestry about the depth of your hip sockets and the shape of the femoral head, etc. But here's what it boils down to. Everybody has a different shaped pelvis. Everybody has a different shaped femoral head. And that really is going to dictate how people move. Sure, you can optimize your passive and active mobility by doing a bunch of drills, but we have to understand you're not going to move bone. So if you are bone on bone in a certain position, it's just not going to happen. For example, a um, long time ago, I, uh, I fractured my hip. Uh, I actually fra fractured the edge of the, uh, the acetabulum and I, uh, it hurt and I had a bunch of issues too. I, I tore my labrum as well. But at this point I realized on my right hip, I'm not going to ever get any more internal hip rotation. Sure. I can optimize the pelvic positioning to get a little bit more. I can AB duck my hip to get a little bit more internal rotation with a little bit more abduction. But at the same time, I'm not going to be able to crank and get more internal hip rotation. All it's going to do is chew up my labrum and hurt more. And I'm basically going to be going bone on bone. So if you've been trying to improve your hip mobility for a very, very long time, it's either one of two things. One, the exercises that you're choosing are absolute crap and you should use something else. Or two, maybe there's bony adaptations that have happened and you're never going to improve that range of motion. And that's why you need to actually try to hire someone that knows what they're talking about because they will give you some pretty good information rather quickly um, to see what the heck's going on. Um, do yourself a favor. There's this uh, gentleman by the name of Tom Purvis, T-O-M, Purvis, P-U-R-V-I-S. And check out his video on squat foldability. And when it comes to the squat pattern and mechanics of the squat, this video is gold. I wish I could have done it myself. But do yourself a favor, listen to that video or watch that video and just take a bunch of notes. And it's gonna, it's really gonna change your mind because just when you think, you knew everything about the squat pattern, he steps back and gives you a lot of great information. So uh, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, again, the individual's name is Tom Purvis, and I believe the title is called Foldability or, or something like that in the squat pattern. So let's talk about the different types of squat patterns, right? And, and we're gonna divide it into two. We're gonna talk about more of an upright squat pattern, that, that one that kids do, right? You look at a toddler and they have this beautiful, beautiful squat, right? So for people that have an upright, an upright squat posture or pattern, um, there's a couple different ways that you can achieve that. Um, one, having optimal ankle dorsiflexion. 
All right, if you have really good ankle mobility, it's gonna help you a ton. Um, in addition to that, maybe you throw some Olympic lifting shoes on and you're gonna have even uh, more of a vertical upright squat. So if you don't have optimal ankle, dorsiflex ankle dorsiflexion, I encourage you to do what you can to develop or maintain that. But at the same time, you can always work around it by throwing on a pair of Ollie shoes. And I'm not saying that you should just only focus on Olympic lifting shoes and don't worry about ankle mobility. But at the same time, some people are just going to be using uh, Olympic lifting shoes for the rest of their lives. But at the same time, remember, we've got a bunch of other lower body patterns that you're going to be asking your body to do, whether it's lunges or single leg squats, etc. So if you can do your best to optimize your ankle mobility, but if you need to throw some ollies on to, to do what you need to do, by all means do it. Um, so when we're looking at that upright squat posture, um, we're going to have to have a relatively longer tibia, shorter femurs, and a longer torso. Those are not exact, but in general, that's what we're gonna we're gonna see as far as proportions go. Longer tibia, shorter femur, and a longer torso. That lends itself to a little bit more of an upright posture. Um, stance is gonna play a role as well, um, depending on again the shape of your hip uh, and your your current mobility. You may have to go a little bit wider. You may have to go a little bit deeper. So you're gonna have to find the best stance for you. Um, if you want to look at a really simple way to find your stance, uh, Google Brett Jones lock and rock. And I believe that video was either on the functional movement website or the strong first website, but he's got some great information on how to find your stance. And it's really, really good. Another way that you can, um, practice an upright squat posture is by using a light counterbalance, which is essentially a goblet squat. So a goblet squat is a fantastic way to access the squat pattern. Sure, can you do heavy, heavy goblet squats? Absolutely. But the difference is, is that when you use a very, very light kettlebell or a light sandbag or a light um, barbell, you can push the, the implement away from you and counterbalance it against your body and get more of an upright posture. Now, that posture is great for that style of squatting, but if you're going to go really, really heavy, the counterbalance won't work because the limiting factor is going to be the ability to hold it, right? So if you are going to go heavy goblet squats, you're probably going to be better off grabbing a heavy dumbbell, um, getting your hands underneath the ends of the dumbbell, getting your elbows directly underneath, and then squatting that way. Um, and then lastly, if you are going to have that upright squat posture, you're probably going to be doing a high bar back squat. And that's exactly what we're going to be, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well, but the high bar positioning is going to lend itself to more of a vertical upright posture. So let's talk about the, the folded posture. Um, so if people have jacked up ankles and they have zero dorsiflexion, they're going to have more of a folded squat pattern or hingy squat pattern. Um, so think about if you've ever been skiing, when you put ski boots on. So when you put ski boots on, your ankles do not move. The only thing that essentially can move is you can hinge more and your knees can move more. So, but because of the fact that their knees can't go forward and we essentially lock our ankles into a position where we don't have any dorsiflexion, if you're asking your body to move into that athletic position, it's gonna be a folded posture. That's exactly what it's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. um, as far as footwear goes, um, you're probably gonna use like a flat shoe. Sure, can you, uh, can you use an Olympic lifting shoe? Sure, but at the same time, most people that have a more of a hingy type squat or a folded posture are gonna be using flat shoes. And those individuals are gonna have relatively longer femurs, uh, shorter tibias and a short torso. And as far as bar positioning goes, uh, you're gonna be going with more like a low bar position because again, once we find, once we find the optimal positioning of the barbell, 
Um, if you're going to be hinging more, the bar is going to sit a little bit lower so it can stack over the middle of your pelvis um, and over the middle of the foot. So as far as squatting well, what do we need to do to squat well? We need to have some sort of checklist. Now, me being an FMS guy, um, I run people through the whole FMS and, and a bunch of other orthopedic assessments. So guys, the deep squat does not indicate whether or not you can you can squat well with a heavy external load. That's another conversation, but just because it has squat in the title doesn't mean that's the only thing we're going to look at. But really what we're looking at is our overall movement competency, right? We're going to try to do our best to remove those mobility restrictions and major asymmetries in the ankles, hips, and T-spine. Um, from there, we're going to try to determine the uh, appropriate stance for the individual. And then from that position, we actually have to talk about how we can start individuals off at the right point. And, and that's one thing that I think people skip all the time is they think, hey, I need to start with a weight or I need to start with a load. Listen, I don't care how you want to start off. Just make sure it's appropriate for that individual. Some people can start with a kettlebell. Some people cannot. So you have to find the optimal start position for each person and then go from there. So I'm going to actually run you through how I teach the squat. And it, this is easier with visuals. Actually, if you want to see the entire presentation with the PowerPoint guys, I actually did this for Perform Better. So if you go to Perform Better and you download their new app, which is pretty awesome, and you just search for Mike Perry, you can actually listen to my whole spiel. But when I'm teaching the squat, I like to start from the bottom up. So when we learned how to squat as a toddler, we didn't have squat coaches. What did we do? Well, we found something and we sat down and we just kind of played. But when we squatted, we actually started from the bottom up. We, we didn't do it from the top down because a lot of the times as little ones, we're gonna crawl around, we're gonna grab the edge of a, a table or a coffee table or the edge of a bench or something. We're gonna pull ourselves into a deep squat and then we initiate, um, we initiate the movement from a concentric standpoint. So we start from the bottom up. And I actually think for most people, that's the best way. And here's why I think eccentrically lowering yourself into a squat for some people is not optimal. I think some people get scared. I think some people from a neurological standpoint feel like, man, this is too much. Maybe they feel like they're falling, et cetera, or they've never done it before. But when you sit someone down, whether it's on the edge of a bench or a plyo box or whatever, they're just much more comfortable when you just sit them down. Don't even think about the squat. Just say, hey, I want you to sit at the edge of this box and then ask them to stand up. It's a very, very simple way to teach the squat. But for some people, when they hear squat, they're, they're thinking squats are bad. They're thinking someone's going to throw a barbell on their back. They're thinking um, they're, it's bad for my knees, et cetera, right? So I like to start from a, uh, from a concentric position. So I start them seated and I find a position that works for them. And then I can have them use any type of implement they want to stand up. It could be some sort of suspension trainer. It could be um, a band. It could be the, the side of a door, it could be with the assistance of a coach. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to start the squat from the bottom up. And let me tell you right away, that is going to be a very, very simple way to, uh, to teach people how to squat. So they're gonna sit, I like to sit them at the corner of a box, teach them how to distribute the weight from their butt to their feet. And that just goes by uh, essentially weight shifting. And they're gonna use whatever they need to help themselves stand up and then to assist them on the way back down. Now from there, then we can actually move on to um, another variation. Well, let's say they they did their squat with a, a suspension trainer, right? Or whatever, TRX, doesn't matter. 
Now we're gonna do the same thing, but we're gonna actually have them use a light counterbalance. Maybe it's a five pound weight or a 10 pound weight. And they're gonna sit, same thing, they're gonna sit at the edge of a box. They're gonna push the weight out in front of them to get a little bit more of a vertical posture. And we're gonna ask them to squat from the bottom up. Very, very simple. From that position, now we're gonna actually reverse it. And now we're gonna go with the eccentric portion of the lift first. So they're gonna be standing up. And what they're going to do is they're gonna start with the eccentric part of the squat first. They're gonna push that light weight in front of them. They're gonna reach down. They're gonna lightly tap their butt to an implement, whether it's a box or a med ball or a bench. And then they're going to essentially come on up. And the, the nice thing about having that bench or ball to tap to is it, it reinforces good depth for that individual, whatever that's going to be. Um, and if they feel uncomfortable or unsafe, they can simply just sit and it, they're not gonna get injured, etc. So using some sort of ball or plyo box is a really nice way to help people feel more comfortable, but also have them um, hit depth on a consistent basis. Um, so from there, you actually, let me, before I move on, some people will be squatting, tapping to a ball or a box for the rest of their lives because that works for them. And listen, if you're going to be powerlifting and competing, I don't recommend it. But if you're training with athletes and you find that just simply having them tap their butt to a ball or a box cleans up their pattern, allows them to lift heavier with, with optimal mechanics, then by all means do it. And the same thing goes with Olympic lifting shoes and a heel wedge, whatever works for them at this point. Because now we're slowly moving from regaining the movement, squat the movement to squat the exercise. And guys, this is a continuum. So it's not like there's this hard and fast line where we, we go from movement to exercise. It's a continuum. And that's something that we need to understand. So Anyways, once they understand that positioning or they practice that positioning, then we're going to do a full goblet squat. Maybe you're going to remove that box or that ball and you're going to teach them how to find their bottom and they're going to get to the position that works for them. They're going to brace their abs and they're going to stand up and then go from there. So that's the beauty of that goblet squat. You can still use a light kettlebell as a counterbalance. Now, if you decide that at this point, they are going to move on to either double kettlebell front squats, front squats, or some sort of back squat. I would teach them how to do a goblet squat with the load touching their chest. And here's why, because that's going to actually replicate a squat pattern that they're going to be doing, whether it's a double kettlebell front squat or a barbell front squat. So they can no longer counterbalance it. And the reason why we don't want to have them counterbalance it is because the load is away from their body. If we want them to squat heavy, the load has to be touching their body or essentially on their body. So if you are going to get them squatting with double kettlebells or, or barbells, start with a goblet squat with the load away from them, but have them do goblet squats with the load touching their chest because that's going to get them ready. And that's going to mimic the posture that they're going to see in a double kettlebell front squat or some type of other barbell based squat. And then from there, guys, it, it really just depends on what you're trying to do with the individuals. Maybe at this point, maybe you will have them tab their butt to something. Maybe you won't. It, it really depends. So there are no hard and fast rules. Now, if you are powerlifting, it's a very different conversation. You're going to want to go below parallel. You're going to want to make sure that you hit that consistently. But if you're not training a powerlifter, use the squat any way you want. If you have to use mini bands, heel lifts, a box, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. There are no hard and fast rules, okay? Because what matters is if the client's happy and that they're successful, that's really what happens. As long as you're not screwing them up and they're happy, 
that's a good thing. So make sure that whatever you're giving your client, it's appropriate for them wherever they are currently at. That's going to change in three, six, nine, 12 months. But whatever variation you decide to give them, give them what's currently correct for them. So we're going to change gears a little bit and we're going to talk about programming. Um, and we need to understand that progress is any type of progress is good, even if it's a half a pound a week, right? But everyone's journey is going to be different. So their progress will vary. Some people are just going to have those newbie gains and, you know, put hundred pounds on their squat in eight weeks. Um, most people won't, but you get to my drift, right? I mean, everyone's going to be different. So when you're starting to teach someone how to squat, don't worry about the numbers. I want you to think about improving their skill because squatting is a skill. Strength is a skill. Our gym is called skill of strength. There's a reason for that. So one of the things that I like to do is I like to program reverse ladders. So let's say I'm teaching someone to squat. We may do a set of 10 and then a set of eight, then a set of six, a set of four, a set of two with the same weight. What that's going to do is that's going to allow us to accrue volume in a, I don't want to say non-fatiguing fashion because they're going to get tired, but this way you can get more repetitions in with quality technique rather than just doing what everybody does, four by 10, four by 12. And there's nothing wrong with a linear type cycle doing, you know, sets of 10 for three to four weeks and sets of seven and sets of five, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with that. But at first, I don't like to do a ton of volume. I would rather use reverse ladders. Now, as far as reverse ladders go, you can use whatever you want. You can do five, four, three, two, one. You can do um, 10, eight, six, four, two. You can do three, two, one times three. It, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you find is going to be the most efficient for your clients is exactly what we're looking to do. Um, another thing we have to con we have to consider is just tissue adaptation. Um, for someone that hasn't squatted ever or squatted in, in quite some time, I would start off with less volume and then slowly add volume in over time. Just don't four by ten everybody or four by twelve anybody because it everybody just doesn't simply work. So. As we, we dig a little bit deeper into the squat pattern, we need to just truly understand that we should not be assessing things. I mean, I'm sorry, we should not be guessing. We should not be just throwing it out there. We should have some sort of formal assessment process. Me being an FMS guy, I use the FMS and, and a whole bunch of other different types of musculoskeletal assessments, but just make sure you're not just throwing them under a bar. That is the most irresponsible thing you can do. I don't care what any other strength coach says. If you start someone off with a barbell and they haven't even understood or experienced what a goblet squat is, I think you're doing it wrong. Um, make sure that when you are programming the squat, you know why. Is it for movement health? Is it for longevity? Is it for exercise and lower body strength? Or is it for both? Either way is cool. Just know why you're doing it. Um, and I've said this a million times, make sure that you, you give them what they currently need and finding the optimal starting point is probably just as important as the assessment itself. Because if you start too aggressively, they're going to stall. If you don't spend enough time dialing their technique early on, it's not going to go well. So take your time and, and front load the skill set. Make sure that early on your clients understand the basics and they know how to squat to the point where they can do it without you. So, and then lastly, guys, there are no hard and fast rules on how you need to get someone from point A to point B. Um, as long as you get them there safely and effectively, that's what matters. So 
um, I'll use the uh, I'll use the road trip analogy. If I was going to hop in my car and I was going to drive to Maine, I live in Massachusetts. There's a bunch of different ways to get to Maine, right? But as long as I get to my end point, if I get to my destination in a safe and efficient fashion, then I'm doing it right. So don't let people tell you you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way because if they say that, I think it's absolute BS. So just make sure that you're you're making constant progress. Make sure that you're not injuring your clients, and make sure that you're just slowly making progress and uh don't rush anything and the last thing i want to leave with you is uh is a quote from from one of my favorites really kenny rogers and and when it comes to squatting you got to know when to hold them know when to fold them know when to walk away and know when to run so what do i mean by that i guess you'll have to uh spend some time coaching people and figure it out no i'm just kidding listen just don't force stuff Know when to make changes. Don't get stuck to a specific template. If you write a program and it doesn't work, switch it on the fly because things change. So take your time, master the basics, and just understand why you're asking your your client or your athlete to squat to begin with. All right, guys, appreciate it, and uh, have an awesome day. Hey there, it's your host, Mike Perry, from the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I just wanted to take a few minutes to say thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate your support. If you do like the podcast, do me a huge favor and subscribe, but also share this with your friends, colleagues, and family. Have an awesome day.